This sermon was recorded at Church of the Ascension, an Anglican parish in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, whose mission is to be a worshipping community that equips God's people and shares Christ's healing with a broken world. For more information, please visit ascensionpittsburgh.org. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Well, good morning. It's a bit of a strange morning. We've somewhat been decimated by COVID this past week. And so there are lots of empty pews all around us of folks who would normally be here, including your beloved rector. Uh, Jonathan Millard has been struck down, uh, though I've heard tell that he's watching me by a live stream. Be sure I do not make too many mistakes. But it's great to be here because this is my last Sunday morning um, visit of our time of these last 18 months. And I can't think of a better place to spend it than at Church of the Ascension uh, with all of you. And I'm so really very grateful that Jonathan set this up and arranged it. Uh, and I hope you will be praying for him for a quick recovery. I want to begin with another story about yet another Englishman. Joe Church, that's his real name, uh, was born the son of an English country clergyman in 1899. He studied at St. Lawrence's School in Ramsgate in the south of England before going to Cambridge University. And while at Cambridge, he had a profound experience, a profound Christian conversion experience, and became actively involved in foreign missions. He studied medicine at St. Bartholomew's Hospital in London and qualified as a doctor in 1926. The next year he traveled to Rwanda where he devoted the rest of his life for service as a medical missionary. After the first couple of years, the excitement kind of faded and Joe found himself struggling with a very low time in his life and ministry. He later described it as an acute spiritual dryness. He decided to take some time off uh, in Kampala in neighboring Uganda. And there he met Simeon Simbambi, a young Christian leader from Buganda. They shared a common dissatisfaction with the rather low state, spiritual state of the Anglican Church in Uganda at the time. And after morning worship at the Anglican Cathedral in Namarimbi, uh, they met together for a season of intense prayer and Bible study. Together, they began to seek the filling of the Spirit and the victorious life. And after two days, both of them experienced a sense of the transformative power of the Holy Spirit. Their lives were forever changed, and it was the beginning of the East African revival. In subsequent letter home, Joe wrote, I've often referred to this time in my preaching in later years as the time that God in his sovereign grace met with me, brought me to the end of myself, and thought fit to give me a share of the power of Pentecost. At the time, there was nothing very spectacular. But he went back to Rwanda, and immediately conversions began to take place. Christians started confessing faults and resentments to one another. Forgiveness was experienced and broken relationships restored. Since then, the East African revival has transformed that church, Rwanda and Uganda, and changed the face of several countries. 
Untold millions have seen their lives transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. And it continues to this day. Angela and I have been privileged to visit East Africa many times. And we have witnessed the ongoing work of the Spirit among people who have so very little in terms of the world's riches. But have taught us so much about what it means to be a joyful, victorious disciple of Jesus Christ. It's truly amazing. Now in today's gospel lesson, Jesus said, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring you to your remembrance all that I've said to you. The helper, the advocate, the comforter, different words, speaking of the Holy Spirit. But how does it work? And what's it got to do with us today? In a few minutes, I'm going to be praying for a, num for a number of confirmands from the Church of the Ascension. In this case today, it's all young men who are making a public declaration of their faith in Jesus Christ. And I'll say words such as this. I'll say, strengthen, O Lord, with your Holy Spirit, your servant John or Paul. Empower him for your service. But what does it mean? to be strengthened or empowered by the Holy Spirit. What's that all about? You know, when I started out on my Christian journey, I knew nothing of the Holy Spirit. In our little Baptist church, we did occasionally mention the Holy Ghost at the end of prayers, as in Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. But nobody really believes in ghosts, holy or otherwise. And so it was just kind of not there. Our version of Christianity was simply, love Jesus and try harder. The Holy Spirit was simply not in the picture. And that's still true for many people. You may know some. During our time on the Upper West Side of Manhattan, we lived near First Baptist Church of New York. And for years, I had this large sign posted outside that read, Jesus died for you, what have you done for him? Not much grace or spirit there. When Angela and I first came to America, almost 55 years ago, and you've noticed I've lost my accent completely, uh, we lived in Darien, a small town in Connecticut, and we joined the local church, St. Paul's Episcopal Church. It was a lively church involved in something called the charismatic renewal, which made me rather nervous. It all seemed a little too emotional for someone who treasured his stiff upper lip. But they loved us, they loved Jesus, and had welcomed us into the community. And so I decided to, to put up with it. When the new rector came, a man called Terry Fulham, he spoke about the Holy Spirit quite a lot. And what he said made sense. He pointed out that the early church did remarkable things, such as seeing 3,000 people converted in one day and taking on the mighty Roman Empire precisely because they were filled with the Holy Spirit. He even claimed that if we wanted to live a normal Christian life with the signs and wonders that the New Testament describes, we can only do so if we're filled with the Holy Spirit. And when I challenged him, he replied, Martin, you've been living a subnormal Christian life for so long that if you ever became normal, it would feel abnormal. I didn't like that. 
Let me say it to you again, because I, I want you to not to like it either. You've been living a subnormal Christian life for so long that if you ever became normal, it would feel abnormal. Now, Terry pointed out that Jesus had told his disciples that they were to stay in Jerusalem until they were clothed with their power from on high. Now, they'd been with him for three years, but there still was something else. In the first book of the book, in the first chapter of the book of Acts, he repeats that promise when they met together for one last time. He said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes, has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And as, as we know, on that first day of Pentecost, that's exactly what happened. These disciples who had been terrified and hiding away because of fear became bold and exuberant witnesses for Christ. So much so, some, some people thought they were drunk. One thing was clear, they were changed. There was something different about them. And this continued. Days later, Peter and John were arrested for telling people that Jesus had been raised from the dead. And they were brought before the ruling council of elders and scribes in Jerusalem, rather like a religious supreme court. But they didn't back down. And when the members of the council saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that from their point of view, these were uneducated common folks, they were astonished. And they knew that they had been with Jesus. But it didn't just stop in Jerusalem. When Peter went to visit Cornelius, a Roman centurion who lived in Caesarea, he was amazed by the faithfulness of all those that he encountered. As he was speaking, as Peter was speaking, we read that the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. Little prejudice there. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. And then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus. And it continued to spread, even over to Ephesus in what we would consider today modern-day Turkey. Paul was passing through on one of his missionary trips, and he found some disciples. And he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, no, we've not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. I guess they were Baptists. And Paul said, into what then were you baptized? They said, into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling people to believe in the one who was to come after him. And that's Jesus. And on hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them. And they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. There were about 12 men in all. You know, I found these stories troublesome because they were rather clear. And I thought about them for a long time. And I had to admit that by the standards of the New Testament, my Christian life and witness was decidedly subpar. My prayer life was hard work. I didn't really like many of the people in the church who claimed to be spirit-filled. They irritated me. 
I hadn't seen many miracles, and I could only think of a handful of people with whom I'd ever shared the good news of the gospel. So, on Christmas Eve, 1972, between services, I went to the altar rail and knelt and told the Lord I needed help. I admitted that my Christian life was decidedly subnormal, and I asked him to fill me with his Holy Spirit. And then I waited. I wasn't sure what to expect. Tongues of fire would have been nice. A little vibrating in the windows, or maybe some roaring of smoke coming through. I wasn't sure. But none of those things happened. And frankly, I was relieved. But God did begin to work on me from the inside out. And for one thing, I noticed that I had a greater sense of peace than ever before. And I felt more confident of God's call on my life. You know, I used to read scriptures in the church. And one morning, a dear lady came up to me and said, you know, Martin, there's something different about you today. You read the Bible like you really believe it. Well, I didn't fully appreciate the rather backhanded compliment. Uh, she was right. God was at work in me. But I still struggled with my prayer life. And I hadn't seen any signs and wonders to count, really. Anyway, a few months later, Terry invited me to join a small group of parishioners who were going to visit Grace Church in Old Saybrook, Connecticut, for a weekend mission. Terry was to lead the formal teaching sessions. We were there to pray and to share our testimonies and to kind of help out. And since Old Saybrook was on the same commuter line that I used, just further up the coast, I agreed. But that Friday, I arrived late, it been a long day, after the first session, when everyone had already moved into the parish hall. So I went into the church to gather my thoughts, and the first thing I did was complain. I'm good at complaining, by the way. Uh, I, it had been a miserable week. I was tired. I didn't know why I'd agreed to come. I really didn't like the other members of the team. They were the kind of happy, clappy types. And so I sat there and I complained. By the way, in case you think that's not biblical, look at the psalmist. He complained quite a bit. It's okay to complain to God. And I'm good at it. But as I knelt there, after a few minutes, I realized that I was praying in a different language, a language that I had not learned. And yet it felt very natural and easy. And as I prayed in this new way, I began to feel energized and it was like my burdens didn't feel quite as heavy. It felt so good I, as I sat there, I wasn't sure I wanted to stop. But eventually I did and headed over to the parish hall where everyone else was still meeting. And to my surprise, I actually liked some of them. And then I realized that God was actually answering my prayers in ways I never expected. God had given me a new way of praying, praying in tongues or praying in the spirit, if you like. And God is still at work on me. Angela and I have been blessed to witness many amazing signs and wonders over the years. We've seen lives restored, marriages healed, people supernaturally healed. 
We've also seen hundreds of people come to a saving knowledge of Christ all over the world. It really is an exciting life. It is a spirit-filled life. And it's a life that is available to everyone, including you. You know, if you can identify with my situation of feeling like I was living a subnormal Christian life, if you'd like to move up to living a little more normally, may I suggest that you use this morning, this service of confirmation, to invite God to fill you or to empower you with his Holy Spirit. I'm not going to ask you to come forward or raise hands or do anything like that. I'm not going to ask you to join another class. But what I'd like you to do is to answer the same questions that I'm going to be addressing to the confirmands in a few minutes. Let me give you a quick preview. And gentlemen, I'm waiting for you, okay? Do you renounce the devil and all the spiritual forces of wickedness that rebel against God? I renounce them. Better, better. Let's try it again. Do you renounce the devil and all the spiritual forces of wickedness that rebel against God? Much better. Second question. Do you renounce the empty promises and deadly deceits of this world that corrupt and destroy the creatures of God? A little more, a little more. Can you hear them at the back? No, no, they can't hear you. Take the masks off. You've got to speak. Good to speak. Do you renounce the sinful desires of the flesh that draw you from the love of God? Is that good? Better, but yeah, I know, I know. But you see, the point is, not how loud you shout, the point is that there are some things as Christians we simply don't do. We acknowledge the reality of evil, but we turn away from it. And we repent of those times when we become ensnared by sin. But that's not all. There are good things that we embrace. Okay, next question. Do you turn to Jesus Christ and confess him as your Lord and Savior? I do. Do you joyfully receive the Christian faith as revealed in the Holy Scriptures of the Old and New Testament? I do. And will you obediently keep God's holy will and commandments and walk in them all the days of your life? I will. The Lord be my Lord. Fantastic, guys. Thank you. See, as you can tell, each of those questions could be a complete sermon. But, okay, I'm not going to do it. Okay. Sometimes that not, might not be a bad idea. <laughs> After the questions have been answered, I will then, each other guys come and kneel, and I'm going to lay my hands on them. And I'm going to ask you during that time for you to pray for yourselves. If you're not sure how to pray, I'd like to offer you a very simple ABCD. First of all, admit, A, admit, that you need more of God's spirit in your life. Acknowledge your weaknesses and failures. Second, the B, believe. You know, believe is actually active. It's not simply passive. It's take God at his word. Trust him to deliver on his promise of a spirit-filled life. See, ABC, commit your life to the purpose of God. Choose his way and not your own agenda. And finally, D, decide. 
Invite the Holy Spirit to direct and empower you. Just do it. Okay. Admit, A, admit, say, say with me. A, admit, believe, commit, decide. And then get ready, get ready for God to answer. It may take a while or it may be an immediate change. It might be dramatic or it might be very gentle. But know this, God will answer your prayer because he has promised that he will do so. And who knows? There could well be another Joe Church on the front row or in this congregation. Somebody who could be used by God to bring a fresh wind of revival to Pittsburgh and beyond. These really are exciting times. Unsettling, yes. But we serve a God for whom nothing, nothing, absolutely nothing is impossible. All we have to do is ask. And those ancient words, come Holy Spirit, our souls inspire, enlighten with celestial fire. Thou the anointing spirit art, who dost thy sevenfold gifts impart. Amen?